If you've got a Bible with you, uh, get to uh, 1 John, 1 John chapter 4. Uh, before we get into the message, I want to give you an update on, on our elder team. I'm really thankful to serve alongside Mike and Ben and Joel and their desire to uh, shepherd the local church in the way of Christ, full of grace, full of truth. I'm grateful for their humility before the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, as under shepherds. I'm grateful for their unity and their friendship in the Lord. We have been praying and discussing as an elder team about who the Lord would be calling to join us in the work of shepherding and overseeing the Crosspoint flock. An elder is a godly man who meets the qualifications of elders laid out in 1 Timothy and Titus. Elders are those who are active in shepherding and leading and teaching and caring for others as a way of life, not as a, as a role to fulfill, but simply as a way of life who they're called to in Christ. Elders are those who love the Lord, love this church, and love those yet to be reached with the gospel. Over the past several weeks, we've been having conversations with uh, Stephen Souter to consider the call of being an elder here at Crosspoint. Stephen and his wife Lauren and the Crosspoint elder team feel affirmed and are in unity that the Lord is calling them, calling him to join in the work of shepherding and overseeing this local church. We are deeply encouraged by his way of life in Christ. We are deeply encouraged by how they are living out our mission of being devoted to Jesus, dedicated to one another, driven to reach people. Stephen is committed to sound doctrine and desires to a shepherd in humility underneath the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, who is ultimately uh, caring for his flock. So we're asking covenant members of Crosspoint over the next couple weeks to join us in prayer. Also to read through those qualifications in 1 Timothy and Titus. Also, if, uh, if you'd like to, read through the elder brochure, which is located on our website. That would give you uh, some more context into our convictions around that role in the local church. So do those things as needed and, then, uh, and desired. And then we're asking the covenant members to either affirm Stephen as an elder or express concerns about where you might see a disconnect between his way of life and what the scriptures call elders to in those letters in the New Testament. We're asking you to uh, share those affirmations or those concerns with one, with one of the members of the elder team, myself or Joel or Ben or Mike. We'd also ask you to encourage, uh, we'd also encourage you to speak affirmation to Stephen, that if you see this call on his life, if you see like, hey, this, I, I see this call in your life, I see how the Lord would strengthen and build his church through you as a, uh, as a shepherd in the local church, then use your words and speak that into him. Write that to him, text that to him, call him, stop him face to face and say, I see these qualifications in your way of life. And, and that builds him up in the grace of God. And then if there's a sense of affirmation over the next couple of weeks from members, then on October 31st, then we will pray for and commission him as a new elder here at Crosspoint. So if you have any questions, let myself or uh, one of the other guys know and continue to pray that the Lord would uh, strengthen and build his church. I'm, I'm greatly encouraged to see growth happening in a variety of areas around the church, and this is one of those that is encouragement to me. All right, you probably in, are in 1 John by now. So we are in verses uh, 7 through 21 in chapter 4. This is part 4 of our series, Life in Community. In the past three and a half years, Heather and I have rehabbed and remodeled two homes. We lived in our first home for 20 years, starting in 1998, 
And then in late uh, 2017, in December 2017, we closed on a house, uh, an older home, fixed it up, moved there six months later. And then we got a wild hair for some silly reason at the end of last year and did the same thing. Bought a house in December. December must be the month, so if we can make it through this next December, I think we're good. Um, and did the same thing, moved again in this past May. People ask us often, they forget that we lived in the first home for 20 years, uh, but they think, so are you going to do this all the time? And uh, no, no, we're tired and it's expensive. Okay, so no, we highly doubt it. Both of the two recent homes we moved, or we, we fixed up and, and moved into were more or less vacant when we purchased them. One had been vacant for months. The other, the owner had passed months prior uh, to us purchasing the home. When you take up residence in a vacant home, life returns to it. The electricity comes back on and with it comes power. Power returns. Activity occurs in a home where there had been no activity. Light returns to what was, what was once dark. Improvements start to be made. What was once broken gets repaired. What hasn't changed for years and years gets transformed. What's needed to go to the landfill for years and years finally gets there. The neighbors and those who drive by start to notice the changes. Sometimes they stop by and say, hey, it's, it's looking good, or we appreciate what you're doing with this home, or they say, I think you should do this. And, but they give no money behind that idea, but they say, oh, you should do this, or why aren't you doing this? And thanks for the suggestion. Write us a check. The house is reborn, if you will, because life has returned to it. It was once vacant, now it's occupied, and the signs of life are clearly evident. Not only to those who are living and working in the home, but also those who are living around the home, watching the home, driving by, both those inside and watching are seeing this transformation occur. For those of you here who are believers in and followers of Jesus, one spiritual reality that has taken place in your life is that you have been reborn. You've been born again in Christ, and that rebirth has occurred in your life. Jesus tells a confused Nicodemus in John 3, that the action of being born again is not through your mother's womb when you're old, but actually through the Spirit of God. When we repent and believe the good news of Jesus, when we place our faith in Christ and surrender to his lordship saying, Jesus, save me, forgive me, you have my life, my life is yours now, one spiritual reality that occurs in that moment is that the Spirit of God gives us new life in Christ. We are born again, not born of our self-centered flesh and sin, but born of the Spirit. Pastor John Piper says this, the new birth is the act of the Holy Spirit connecting our dead selfish hearts with God's living and loving heart so that his life becomes our life and his love becomes our love. So to use the analogy of a vacant home, when we are spiritually reborn, New life in Christ takes up residence in us. What was once dark and vacant is brought back to life. The light of Christ and the power of the Spirit replace the darkness of our sin and our slavery to it. What was once broken in our hearts and lives begins to be restored and repaired. And both those on the inside of the home, those who are giving their lives to Christ, and those watching the person's life, they begin to see a transformation occur. They're seeing the effects of the rebirth and his life becoming our life. And they're seeing a way of life and attitudes and actions that are different now. Because the spirit 
is now leading the believer's life, not their flesh. They're seeing the fruit of the Spirit start to grow in this person's life. And one specific area of transformation that starts to occur when a person is spiritually reborn is that of the Christ-like action of love. A reborn Christ follower begins to love the Lord and love others. Why? Well, because their hearts that were once fixated on self and sin have now been made new and their hearts are now connected to the heart of God and God's heart is love. And throughout the book of 1 John, one truth that John is communicating is that for those who have been reborn, those who know the Lord, that they will be growing in their love for one another. That's one theme throughout this book. They won't be perfect in their love this side of heaven, but they'll be making progress by the grace of God. The community that they have with one another will be marked by love. So when we love one another, it reveals that we've been born of God that his spirit is alive in us. Jesus said this in the Gospel of John, John 13, 34, and 35. Jesus says, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. When the community of reborn believers is characterized by love for one another, it reveals to the world the neighbors, those driving by, that we are disciples of Jesus, students of his, followers of his. Jesus is saying that the world can measure our status as disciples by looking at the measure of our love for one another. The world can say, oh, you're a disciple of Jesus because of how you're loving one another within the family of God. I pray that how cross-pointers love one another, that it might be a revealing Jesus reflecting testimony to the world, that the Lord might use our love for one another as a testimony that, would, that the Lord would use then to, to add daily to the number of those being saved within this local faith family. So in this passage here in 1 John 4, John is calling us to this action of loving one another. And he makes that call at the front and the back end of this passage. And in between, he has two points. First of all, that God is love. This is who the Lord is. And secondly, that love is from God, that we see God's love best displayed in the sending of his son so that we might have eternal life in him. God is love and also love is from God. It flows from his character and we see that in the good news of Jesus. So I want to teach through this passage, and then at the end, I want to give us three practical outworkings of of if Jesus first loved us, we know that as true, and we're responding to that, how does our love then reflect Jesus' first love for us? So try to give it some some, uh, boots, I guess, to run daily life with. So verses 7 and 8 in the CSB translation, dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. Dear friends, John is writing to the church. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, friends in the Lord, let us love one another because love is from God and God is love. And if you've been born again in the Lord, then you've experienced and know of his love. So you can't disconnect the two, if you've been born again, it's going to show. 
So you can't say on one hand, oh, I'm just so loved by the Lord, so forgiven by His grace. The Son laid down His life for my life, and I'm so loved by Him. And then on the other hand, say, I can't stand that person. I, I hate that brother or sister over there. Or I'm so indifferent to their situation or their need. You cannot disconnect the two. When we are reborn, the Spirit has connected our dead hearts with God's living and loving heart so that His life becomes our life, His love becomes our love. Notice that John says that we've been born of God and that as a result we know God. The word know means knowledge gained by experience. For instance, I have experienced the love of God when my sin has been exposed and I've been met, met with grace and forgiveness. I've, I've experienced the love of God when I've walked through hardship or difficulty or grieving and been met with his love. I've experienced the love of God when I realize that I've been wandering or straying or drifting and Jesus laid down his life for me, not just for my salvation, but for my sanctification, my growth in Christ. What about you? How have you, how are you experiencing his love? And how is it leading you to better know him, to gain experience through his love? God is love. It's who he is. Love is one of the multitude of attributes that describe our God, and love is from God. Like heat comes from the flame, light comes from the sun, love flows from our God, and we see it displayed then in the gospel. Notice that John, what John doesn't write as he commands us to love one another. He doesn't say, let us love one another because then God will love and accept you. Or he doesn't write, let us love one another in order that you might earn the acceptance or love of God. He commands us to love one another and then points us to the character of the Lord. Because he is love and love is from him. Our love for one another in the community of faith is always in response to first his love for us. We are commanded to love not in order to earn or become worthy of God. We love one another because Jesus went first. Love is God and love is from God. And we see that in the gospel, which is where John goes next. Verses 9 through 12. And listen, may these words be sweet to you. May they be fresh in your ears. May this not just be a, a broken record that we hear or that we know, but may they be sweet to your heart, fresh to your heart today that is in need of the gospel. And notice the collective nature that the Spirit inspires John to write with. Starting in verse 9, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. The gospel is the most public, global display of God's love. It transcends history and generations 
and nations and people groups. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, meaning his blood and his body, his sufficient sacrifice was enough to satisfy the wrath of God, cover our sin and our unrighteousness. It should have been us upon that cross, but Jesus took our place. He substituted himself in our place so that we could find life, his death for our life. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. Fish swim. Birds fly. Christ followers, we love. It's who we are. It's our reborn nature. Verse 12 again, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. Your translation may say of that last phrase, his love is perfected in us. The meaning is that his love is made mature in us. John is saying when God's love is in you, it actually goes somewhere. It doesn't just remain a theory or something that you know inside of you, but doesn't go outward you, outward of you. God's love in you, it leaks. It flows from your life. One measure of, of a progressing Christ, Christ-like maturity is a life marked by progressing in our love. The word complete is the same idea that James uses in James 2 when he tells us that our faith is completed by works, meaning our faith produces works. It, it goes somewhere. If we really walk in God's love toward us, if his love is shaping our hearts, one evidence will be a growing love for one another, starting with those closest to us. Verses 13 through 16, John is making the same point, and this time he reminds us not only do we see the Father's love in the giving of the Son, but also in the sending of the Spirit. So verse 13, this is how we know that we remain in Him and He in us. He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent His Son as the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know, to experience, and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. The Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead on the third day is given to all believers at their conversion to Christ. The Spirit empowers our lives so that we might live for His glory and not our own. Romans 8.16 tells us that the Spirit testifies with our spirits, reminding us that we are His children, His sons and daughters. Jesus tells us that the Spirit is given to us as a counselor, our comforter. When the Spirit leads our lives, when we keep in step with the Spirit, Galatians 5 tells us that one of the Markers of that, one of the fruit that grows from that, you guessed it, is that of love. It's the same type of truth from Galatians 5 that John is communicating here in 1 John 4. That love for one another will result in our lives when we abide and remain connected to Christ. When we abide in His Word, when we remain connected to His Spirit through communion. To those of you here who are watching online or those of you here in person who don't trust in Jesus yet. In a moment of honesty, you'd say you're not a follower of Jesus yet. You're curious, you're seeking, you haven't crossed the line of faith yet. Listen to verse 15 again. 
Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. Confesses meaning to be in agreement with. To become a Christ follower, you must confess. You must agree with the Father on who the Son is. And Jesus is the Son of God. He wasn't just a historical figure. He wasn't simply a good man, a teacher. He was and is God. He is God in the flesh. He is the image of the invisible God, according to Colossians 1. Friends, will you confess Jesus as as the Son of God today? Will you humble yourself before Him and begin to follow Him as Lord of your life from this point forward, saying to the King of Kings, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm all in, Lord. I'm no longer going to hold back. I'm no longer going to trust in myself. I'm all in, Lord. Jesus, you are my Lord. You're my Savior. From this point forward, will you walk by faith to the risen King of kings, Lord of lords, Son of God, to be in agreement with him? I pray that you'd respond to his voice today. He's too good to reject, friends. He's too good to say, man, I don't know. He's too good. Trust in him Today, there's a beautiful and powerful promise at the end of verse 15. When we confess Jesus as the Son of God, it says God remains in us, and we remain in God. An unbreakable union occurs that Romans 8 tells us that nothing can separate us from. The Father loves you. He's calling you to trust in Him today. Respond to Him with humility. Verses 17 and 18, in this love, or in this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. God's perfect love for us drives out the fear of wrath and eternal punishment. The Father's love for us produces confidence, meaning assurance of our salvation. As we grow in our understanding of his lavish love toward us as his kids, what what gets produced is a restfulness, a restfulness in his love. It grows. So when we sin, we don't run from the Father. We run to the Father because that's where we're met with mercy and grace. That's where we're met with, with new life. That's where we're met with forgiveness We run to him knowing we will be met like that father running toward the prodigal son. We don't fear punishment because the penalty was laid upon Jesus. We don't fear condemnation because Jesus bore our condemnation upon that cross. Brother and sister in the Lord, you are deeply loved by a perfect heavenly father who saw you in your desperate situation and sent his one and only son to rescue you. And then his spirit to dwell in you and to be the seal until the day of redemption, sealing your life. Listen to Romans 8, verses 35, and then we'll skip to 37 and 39, reminding us of how his love drives out fear. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to
to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, if you know and trust in Jesus, don't live in fear of condemnation. Don't live in fear of eternal separation. Don't live in fear that he won't be faithful to save you when you pass from this life. Let his love drive out that fear and lead you to assurance. Let his love drive you toward a growing holiness where you put off the things of earth and self and sin and you put on the things of Christ. Let his love for you drive you toward one another in the family of God. In verses 19 through 21. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him, the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Our love for one another is always in response to his love for us. The source of love is, is never found within us. It's always found from him. As one pastor shared, our obedience to the command of God to love one another is not a fearful striving to please God, but a thankful and joyous response to the love with which he has already embraced us and provided for us through the sacrifice of his son. John is so blunt in verse 20. If you say, oh, I love the Lord, and then yet hate your brother or sister, you're a liar. You don't love the Lord. You're misunderstanding his love. You're not welcoming the Father's love in your life. John is saying it is inconceivable that you could encounter the power of God's love and not be filled with or respond in love to the family of faith that you've been brought into. Inconceivable that we could say, oh, I love the Lord but then turn around and hate our brother or sister, starting with those closest to us. So when we struggle in our love for one another, and we always will have these times, these seasons, where we hit struggle, when we sense a coldness in our hearts, maybe when we sense a, a bitter root growing up in our hearts toward those that we are called to love, this passage is instructing us, look up, look up. Don't look at yourself. Look up. Dwell on the Father's love for you. Dwell on the cross. Consider Romans 8. Meditate on that passage. Meditate on Psalm 103, describing the perfect Heavenly Father's love that transforms us. Memorize the word. Hide it away in your heart. Let it shape your life. Let us love one another. This is the command of the word to us. So practically... Speaking, what is love within the life in the community of faith? What does it look like? What is it marked by? So I have three action words for us to consider today. Initiate, give, and follow through. All of which we see first in the gospel. All of which we see first in Jesus who went first, who we are responding to in, in our love for one another. So may our love... For one another, be an initiating love, a giving love, a, a love that follows through. So first of all, initiate. Go first in demonstrating love. Don't wait. What are you waiting on? 
Jesus didn't wait for us to respond. Romans 5.8 tells us that he laid down his life while we were still sinning, while we were still ungodly. Do you see a brother or sister in need and you have the capacity to meet that need? Then what are you waiting on? Don't wait on a church program to go tell you to do it. You're the family of God. You have the spirit. Go. Initiate. If they have a need for encouragement, a need for provision, a need for support, a need for your presence, a need for comfort, then go. Go. Charles Spurgeon said this, has anybody offended you? Seek reconciliation. Oh, but I'm the offended party. So was God. And he went straight away and sought reconciliation. Brother, do the same. Oh, but I've been insulted. Just so, so was God. All the wrong was towards him, yet he sent, he initiated. Brothers and sisters, may our love for one another be an initiating love. Secondly, may our love for one another be a giving love. The father gave of his son. The son gave of his life. The gospel is not just a story of a God who initiated, but a a God who gave. And by giving, it was costly. It was costly to the father to give of the son. It was costly to the son to give of his life. May our love lead to action. May our love cost us. May it cost us our energy, our money, our time, our self-centeredness. John writes this in 1 John 3, 16 through 18. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That sounds costly. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. May our love for one another, starting with those closest to us, be a a generous, giving love in response to the generous, giving love that we see in the gospel. And finally, may our love for one another be a love that follows through. Because thanks be to God, our God follows through. He was faithful. He is faithful. From, From Genesis to Revelation is the story of God's faithfulness. In times past, in present, in times to come. It's the story of a faithful God in the midst of redeeming his people. Jesus walked through earthly suffering, great pain and persecution, and followed through on the mission all the way to the cross. And his faithfulness continued on the third day when he rose again. His faithfulness continued when he ascended to heaven. His faithfulness continues when he sits at the right hand of the Father. His faithfulness will continue in his second return. All the way into eternity, his faithfulness will abound. So may we reflect that same type of follow-through. May our love for one another not stop short not simply stop at initiating and giving, but may it also follow through and follow up on and reflect the faithfulness of our God. Who do you need to follow up on? Who do you need to check in on? Maybe you've initiated, maybe, maybe you've given, but who do you need to say, how are things going? How can I love you? And follow up on where the Spirit is leading you. Mark, if you want to come back up. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 3, 11 through 13 says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. 
And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we do for you. May he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. Lord, I pray that you would enable us through your Spirit's power to cause our love for one another to increase and overflow. I pray that you would enable us to be able to experience and to know and to grasp the surpassing love that you have for us. The width and length and height and depth of your love for us. I pray that out of that overflow that you would enable us to to love well, love in the way of Christ those around us. And God, we confess that at different times we will struggle, we'll experience a coldness, a maybe a bitter root. I pray that in those times that we would look to you, look up to you, and dwell on your great love for us. Be glorified by how this local faith family loves one another. Be exalted. May your name be lifted high. May you help us this week to initiate and not wait, to give and to be generous in our love and to follow through and to follow up because you are faithful. Thank you that in the gospel that we see that you initiated, you pursued us, you gave of your life, you've given us your spirit and one day we will enjoy eternity with you. You are coming again. Thank you for being a faithful God. May your faithfulness abound in our lives as we seek to love one another well. For your glory we pray this in your name. Amen. Paul writes this in Ephesians 3, starting in verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height, and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.